Hello and welcome to this podcast for The Lancet. My name is Liz Zucala and I'm the Acting Deputy Editor at The Lancet HIV. Today we are very excited to be publishing The Lancet's Commission on Tuberculosis, which comes ahead of World TB Day on Sunday, March 24. Lancet commissions are based on the premise that organised science can provide a strong platform for advocacy. Commissions bring together multidisciplinary, international teams to produce evidence-led reports that are aimed at creating transformational change in response to urgent and often neglected or understudied health problems. In many regards, tuberculosis exemplifies why the work of commissions is so important. Despite being declared a global emergency by WHO 25 years ago, Today, tuberculosis infects around a quarter of the world's population and is responsible for over one million deaths each year, making it the leading infectious killer of our time. This commission on tuberculosis comes at a crucial time in the fight against the disease. It is the product of the work of 37 commissioners from 13 countries who have reviewed available evidence and produced new epidemiological modelling and economic analyses to arrive at recommendations intended to reinvigorate the global response to tuberculosis and meet global targets for ending TB. My colleague Richard Lane has been speaking to Commission Chair Eric Goosby and Commissioner Paula Fujiwara about the Commission's findings and its policy implications. I hope you find their discussion engaging. Hi, my name is Paula Fujiwara and I'm the scientific director of the International Union Against Tuberculosis and Lung Disease, fondly called the Union. Hello, I am Eric Goosby, the UN Special Envoy for Tuberculosis and a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. Although Tuberculosis was declared a public health emergency by WHO in 1993. Actual progress in tackling tuberculosis when you compare it with other infectious diseases like HIV and malaria has been very slow. Why do we think this is? It's a complicated reason uh, that uh, I believe um, the difference in response between TB and HIV was definitely in part due to the length of time tuberculosis has been known to medical delivery systems. In high-incidence countries, you have situations where 30, 40, 50 years of response have been part of the history of their ministries of health. And quite frankly, in uh, that longevity, a feeling that they have identified it and conquered it in terms of how their ministry prioritizes problems seems to be the norm. I think HIV had the advantage of being a new disease with no entrenched delivery responses and feedback loops. So the uh, entire effort launched at what is it, how do we respond to it, and uh, how do we develop diagnostic and treatment uh, elements to it. That lack of having to dismantle and engage communities that had years of response under their belt, I think made a huge difference as to how rapidly HIV was able to get the attention of ministries and policymakers, decision makers, and to, with the kind of global interest and threat that HIV affords, there were resources that were mobilized over you know, a 25-year period, but were mobilized to respond to it. Secondly, I think on a, uh, an individual country community level, 
Um, tuberculosis holds a much deeper level of stigma than HIV. I've been in front of both in multiple countries, and I've been humbled by the degree to which, both within the health profession and within the community, uh, TB holds a shame uh, that um, does not diminish uh, with uh, treatment or with a drop in incidence in the country. You'll see uh, physicians uh, in pulmonary medicine uh, hesitant or refuse to reveal themselves to uh, their work community uh, for fear of the uh, reaction it will generate. And I've seen that over and over again. Two other issues that are really important, one of them is the lack of demand from those with the disease. Both Eric and I were in San Francisco at the time when HIV was coming to the fore, and we thought, when we think about HIV, it was the people that were influential people saying, you know, we're suffering, we need, we need to do something about this. You don't see that demand from people with tuberculosis because it's generally poor, marginalized people. The other issue is this lack of political will. Uh, when the HIV epidemic started and became a political issue, if you look at organograms of countries, an AIDS commission is often linked directly at the top, at highest levels in office, office of the president, where the TB program is, is always buried within the structure of the Ministry of Health you know, under communicable diseases. So it's, it's really far down the uh, organogram in the, in the country compared to HIV. Good point. Well made. Thank you. Timing is everything. This commission we're publishing uh, March the 20th, 2019, six months after the first United Nations high-level meeting which met to discuss tuberculosis. How do the findings of the commission report relate to that event and, and why is the timing now so important? When the Lancet Commission was in its infancy, there was a lot of uh, debate and a strong push to actually publish before a high-level meeting to hopefully influence that debate or, or at least uh, to, uh, to have it at the meeting itself, to publish at the meeting itself to show how aligned it was with the political declaration. However, I think its publication now on the eve of World TB Day, six months later, extends the influence of the political declaration by supporting it, by focusing, and by amplifying its messages and reminding us of the importance of the biggest infectious disease killer in the world. So it really complements and extends the, um, the work and the vision of that political declaration. I think that's very true. I would just add that the uh, attempt to take the problem with tuberculosis, 10 million new infections, 1.3 million deaths annually, 3,500 plus people dying daily from tuberculosis, is taking those facts and understanding how they distribute globally across 193 countries and assessing with the help of uh, WHO, Stop TB, the union, the response to date in each of these settings. We have really uh, come to the point where the meeting declared a problem, and I hope that the response to that problem, one of which will be the Lancet Commission report, will allow for a pivot into programmatic analysis and one country at a time a strengthening of their responses. The convergence of both donor and multinational NGO technical assistance is now primed in a way that needs to be facilitated if we carry that momentum to program in country.
So I think that's the moment we're in. That leads in neatly into the next question, actually, because there have been many, many reports concerning tuberculosis, proposing ways that we can get to a point where we can end tuberculosis. But why is this commission report, this Lancet Commission report 2019 specifically, different to other reports that have gone before that have, have suggested ways that we can get on a road to actually ending TB? Why is this report different? I think that the commission attempts to... Uh, not really reproduce the wheels that have been done. Uh, uh, all of the organizations that focus on tuberculosis have produced excellent to outstanding reports for many years that have attempted to be comprehensive and at the same time focus on barriers to identifying, entering, and retaining people uh, in care and services. I think that this report attempts to look at where we are uh, and use countries, a number of example countries, to model what continued activity with no strengthening would look like in terms of incidents, as well as strengthening on a number of specific areas to uh, increase our ability to identify, enter, and retain, and how that plays out over time and adds or detracts from the global burden of disease. It, It gets specific in trying to identify approaches that are evidence-based that we know work, and then trying to see how they synergize or uh, how they are additive when countries pile them up on one another or don't. And I think it's a honest attempt to bring uh, real visibility to some of the decisions that have been made and the investments that have been made in countries And are we likely to see, with the the current investments unchanged, a drop in new infections and or our ability to uh, identify inner complete courses, et cetera? So I think it is a detailed analysis of a lot of those specific evidence-based levers that we know work but have not been compiled and sustained uh, long enough in enough places for countries to see a precipitous drop in new infections. That's really what the document is trying to uh, catalyze. I would add that what I think is really unique about this report is the proposition of a tuberculosis observatory, uh, where we have the experts come together to survivors, stakeholders, and to meet annually. It's proposed to meet annually until 2022. Why 2022? It's because when the TB community is supposed to report back to the UN, as specified in the Declaration of 2018. Be an independent watchdog on progress and to identify the concrete solutions. The other thing that the report says, and I think that some, some of us may miss this, but it also says to also concentrate on the basics. Uh, diagnose correctly, treat appropriately, prevent people from becoming infected, or if infected, prevent them from developing active, active tuberculosis. It's a combination of really understanding the, uh, the basic issues around tuberculosis, but also the new idea of a tuberculosis observatory. Again, related to that, I mean, the, the, the commission report, it, it talks about the need for an investment in, in research and development. This is always important, of course. So, But why now? What tools are needed by the TB community now to actually go down the implementation path that, that we're talking about? We need to recall that the goal is to end tuberculosis by 2030. But at the current rate of decline of 1% to 2% a year, uh, we're not going to succeed with the tools that we currently had, even if they're applied optimally. Uh, so new tools are obviously needed. And so what do we mean by new tools? And I, there are three broad categories. First, there's diagnostics. We need faster, 
accurate methods, and ideally one that can be done where the person with symptoms receives care at the primary health level. This is this is what happens with HIV. You can now take a drop of blood, you can you can swab swab the mucosa in the mouth, and you get a result in minutes. And we don't have that yet on a, on a widespread basis. The second thing that's needed is drug regimens. And I say regimens because we have to treat tuberculosis with several medications, not just one. They think it's a misnomer to say we just need new drugs, we need new drugs. That's, that is not the, the only thing. We need the combination. And we have to have pharmaceutical companies start to work together from early stages of drug development. They need to be able to share patents, to share data, share, combine the drugs from the beginning, maybe give them some financial incentives for promising compounds. So by the end, when the actual compounds come to market, they're priced so they're affordable to everyone rather than having this tiered pricing that goes on in the world. So the U.S. pays more than, than a place in Africa. The other thing that's needed is we need shorter regimens, less toxic regimens, regimens that address the drug-resistant uh, tuberculosis, which we have to remember is the biggest contributor to the problem of antimicrobial resistance in general. The uh, holy grail is the vaccine. This is the third component that we need. And ironically, the most commonly used vaccine in the world is BCG, which is given at birth to ideally prevent tuberculosis. But it doesn't work very well uh, beyond children under five years old with the most severe forms of tuberculosis, like TB in the brain, or it's disseminated within the body. And I think we need two different types of vaccines. One that prevents someone from becoming infected in the first place. And the other type is to prevent those with dormant infection progress from progressing to full-blown TB disease. So the question is, are we there? And the answer is not yet. And it's interesting that the TB community has become very excited by a new vaccine that's not even out uh, finished with the trials, but it shows a 54% efficacy and that's well and good, but we ultimately need a vaccine that's over 90% effective, just like we have for measles and, and chickenpox. And uh, uh, the overarching umbrella of, of this is, of course, we need operational research to translate these findings into practical solutions. It's the one thing to actually do the, the lab work, uh, you know, develop, develop the tools itself, but actually to put them into, into practice is really is going to be needed. It's going to be expensive, but the cost of inaction is even more so. I just really want to reinforce what Paula said about the uh, the cost of inaction. A number of the interventions in the Lancet Commission report look at the counterfactual of what would incidents look like, what would the curve look like if we did nothing different and if we uh, try to add interventions, including prevent more aggressive case finding and prevention uh, interventions to that incidence number. And even with, as Paula said, a rigorous strengthening of all of what is currently in place, we will still not meet the projected 2030 goals. And uh, in order to do that, need to uh, be creative in developing new interventions, I think the most important of which is the vaccine. If we're really going to end uh, a TB, that will be a necessary prerequisite. The interesting thing about the 54% drop with this new N72 vaccine candidate is that when you do a analysis of different age groups in, uh, who participated in the study, you see that below 25 years, that 54 goes up to the mid-80s. And that is why there is so much excitement about this new candidate. So therapeutic and uh, preventative vaccine is the goal. We remain vigilant with it and have been able to 
with the coming together of the broader community, figure out how to sustain uh, and find funding to allow these vaccine candidates to move forward. So it's an example of a different dialogue coming in and around uh, the scientific TB community. So I see a lot of reasons to be excited. Changing text slightly, but something we alluded to in the introduction to the podcast, the action of civil society, civil society advocacy, in other words, working from the bottom up, the people with the disease. This is something has been so evident when we talk about the HIV epidemic, but it's pretty silent when we're talking about the TB epidemic. So can the TB community learn from the HIV community? I know they're very different diseases socially, and as you've already outlined, but what can be learned from from the HIV epidemic uh, kind of model? There's no question in my mind that um, the political will that you need to make allocation decisions in a setting where there is a lot of unmet need, okay? It's not just an HIV need. It's not just a TB need. The policymakers are in front of many unmet needs, each of which is presented to them with just as much urgency. And policymakers uh, are not scientists and are not really equipped to sift through the subtle details of the impact that a scientific intervention may create for a population at scale and not just in a study. And uh, so there's a whole lot that has to happen there. All supports the critical need for there to be a cadre of individuals who are invested in the outcomes of the TB community, those who have been infected, have been treated, have been cured, or have not, family members, healthcare professionals who work with this community or themselves who have gotten infected, why those individuals don't typically feel they need to become advocates. And I think it has to do with what we started the discussion with, uh, the depth of the stigma, the association with uh, poverty and being less than human has a long history narrative in TB. Uh, And I think it plays out still. But in no uncertain terms, my experience with HIV has shown me that the, con- the constant narrative and dialogue that needs to be sustained in year one and year 50 with just the same amount of urgency and clarity in talking to policy allocation decision makers is usually sustained by civil society. Uh, it is not something that another sector consistently takes up. You'd think... Uh, health professions, you think scientific inquiries that move into the corporate arena uh, would be, but those wax and wane with profit differentials. We need to really think about how to support and expand that dialogue, that civil society narrative in every country where TB is playing a out of uh, an outsized role to reinvigorate a strengthening exercise and more importantly, sustain that. Uh, so civil society is critical. It was one of the central recommendations of the commission. Thank you, Eric. Paula, you've worked in TB all your career. Can it be done? Can there be a civil society advocacy movement in TB reaching the strength that there has been in, in HIV? Can it be done? Absolutely. I think the mistake that we made as a TB community is that we focused on public health and medical response, getting the numbers, and you know all of which are very laudable. But I I come from that tradition from my whole career. But it's not, but I've come to believe it's really not enough. I've learned. 
I continue to learn from my colleagues doing civil society advocacy that seeing, feeling, living the disease gives a sense of urgency to the work and that their lives are at stake. And as is now said, you know, nothing for us without us. And I am absolutely convinced that we are all part of civil society and giving support and using the talents of every kind of talent and the uh, talent of the colleagues in this fight is the way we're going to make headway. And just this week, um, the head of the WHO, Dr. Tedros, emphasized the key role of civil society in the development of stronger WHO guidelines. I've been in this game for a long time, but and I have actually converted from being this public health nerd if you will, <laughs> someone who really, who really believes that, that without civil society, we will not get to the end of tuberculosis. And a couple of final points to, to discuss with you both. The next question is my favorite question because I end up asking it all the time when we discuss big conversations in, in, in the health arena, and that is accountability. This seems to be just so crucial because you can do all the work in the world, but ultimately if you can't hold the people that need to be held account to deliver, to implement at local, uh, national and international level, then, then we'll fail collectively. So what can we do about accountability here? We need measurable outcomes. And, and by this, it has to be understood that it's not just reporting the progress in numbers, but it comprises commitment at the highest level of government. I was really struck at the HLM on tuberculosis, how country representatives made statements and promises on the importance of TB in their country and how their countries are going to do X and Y. And, Z. and a simple way is to take these promises, take their own words, and bring them up at every encounter. And this is where advocates and activists can have an impact. And the hard work is really going to have to be done at national, and I, I say even subnational level. And accountability has to be addressed from all aspects of society. The government is going to provide funding, it's going to provide laws, they'll monitor. We have a global caucus of parliamentarians now that's over 3,000 members around the world that can actually push their own governments. Civil society has to be supported to push the change locally and nationally. Populace has to be made aware and knowledgeable about the disease because it is their right to know their status and to access care. And if they don't know their status, they can't access the care. And, and fourth, I think academics need to be supported to provide the research needed for the diagnostic treatment regimens and vaccines that I've already mentioned. I would strongly agree with Paula on all of those points. I think that the Accountability uh, is critical. It is most critical, in my opinion, at the country level. The civil society TB community needs to solidify itself into uh, a, a few individuals that represent them and can convene them, but is in a continuous dialogue with the appropriators uh, in their legislative bodies. They are just as important as the Minister of Health. The Minister of Finance is perhaps more important and those appropriators who write the check. The president can orchestrate, but those are the actual elements that need to be aligned and the targets of continuous information. I also see a strong need for multilateral acknowledgement. Uh, uh, Paul is correct. Uh, reporting on numbers is critical. It's important, but it's where it starts. That needs to be translated to the appropriations that the country has decided on, and a growing understanding on part of the providers in that country and those who depend and need the services, the patient populations who use these services, need to understand what that investment decision in year one buys in year two and three, and understand that that investment 
results in these outcomes and we want to continue those outcomes or the investment does not result in these outcomes and we need to reconfigure and adjust our allocation decisions. That needs to be an ongoing process that happens best at the country level, but without the information and the conduits for dialogue to hold that accountability expectation in place day after day after day, if that is not up and running, it wanes in about two to three years. So I strongly feel that a mechanism that is not cumbersome is uh, pointed at country uh, advocacy where the expectation is held at the country level but supported by multilateral international uh, input is the best figure. But um, I can tell you there's a lot of resistance to putting another layer of analysis in place, but I know with TB it is needed. The accountability recommendation is a critical one. The impact of the Lancet Tuberculosis Commission report. What impact should this report have? Because clearly we're at a really galvanizing moment in the story of TB and, and, and moving towards uh, ending the epidemic by 2030. I would hope that it challenges the global health community to reconsider tuberculosis, to look at it as an expectation that has not been met, uh, even though there is an evidence base to be more effective, but we have not stood up the delivery systems and sustained them to allow those who are infected and affected by tuberculosis to benefit from the science we already know. In addition to the science we already know, we know from modeling that we will not successfully eliminate the disease without strengthening our diagnostics and our treatment regimen interventions and that the ability to uh, identify uh, countries, areas within countries that are slower than needed, that we have a sophisticated way of aligning technical assistance with them to not allow it to fester, but to correct in as close to real time as possible. It's my hope that this commission report says that we've got a problem, We've had a problem for a long time. Our response has been noble, but not effective. We need to strengthen that in every country that carries a significant burden of TB, and that we need to do it explicitly with high degrees of visibility and high degrees of accountability. The HLM is really a watershed moment for the TB community, and my hope is that the Lancet Commission report is referred to as an important key voice on the necessity of pushing on many fronts. Uh, using people and constituencies with different skill sets that are needed to reach our goal of ending tuberculosis, as the Lancet Commission report says, within a generation. And I hope that it will be referenced and that the proposed report card in the Lancet TB Observatory will be used concretely as we reach for the next report back to the UN in 2022. You know, I always like to sum up the uh, political declaration uh, on TB in just 16 words. Treat all people with TB well, use new tools, make the investment, and keep your promises. Eric, Paula, thank you so much for illuminating in voice what are some incredibly important messages in the Lancet TB Commission report. Good luck with all your ongoing work, and, and we'll be supporting you all the way. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for the opportunity, and thanks, Paula.